Christians have not always been the ones that have been the best about being honest about how hard life is, at least not publicly. And God just kind of gives us permission to do that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so this morning we will be touching on these issues of injustice. Another beautiful thing about preaching through books of the Bible is you can't say, wow, that pastor really has a soapbox, right? He just wants to get up there and talk about this stuff all the time. This is what we come to next in God's Word. And so this is what we need to hear as truth. Not through any man's agenda, but by the truth of God. So Ecclesiastes 3.16, and we'll read through chapter 4 and verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity, is futility. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4. Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought that the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both of those is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again, I saw another vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his tool, and his eyes are never satisfied with the riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I tooling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their tool. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not got another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, some parts of your word are a little harder to 
pieced together than others, and Ecclesiastes may be one of those. And God, we thank you that although we won't be able to dissect every line this morning, that we trust you will lead us in the truth. We thank you, God, that we are not merely here alone, but you are with us. We thank you that your spirit attends to your word. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted, and that you would put the spotlight on Jesus so that we might follow him and endure life in this world and the victory that we have in his name, the name of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you don't know our children, we have three children, Kaylee, Elisha, and Josiah. And Josiah is our youngest child. He is eight years old. And uh, last year, or maybe two years ago, Cassie could correct me, we got a, a statement from the government that was really surprising. Josiah had been declared to be the head of our household. Now, I am not a health care expert, and I'm not going to be talking about that this morning. I'm not going to speak policy. We're just going to preach God's Word. But as, we, as our family found ourselves in situations where we needed to, to look to the government for our health care, it has been one epic disaster. <laughs> and part of that disaster was that Josiah somehow had been declared ahead of our household, even though on the paperwork it said he was seven years old or whatever it was at the time. And then when the taxes came around, we got penalized because Josiah was not covered under our insurance. And I was just thinking, this is so unjust. This is so wrong that we would have to pay a penalty for something that my wife, and I was the witness, was on the phone with these people for hours and hours and hours, refiling documents, sending them in again. And I was thinking, if my competent, highly educated, highly responsible wife can't pull this off, how in the world could anybody else do this? And so as someone who before could honestly maybe have cared less about the whole health care issue in the country because we were always taken care of, when it became personal, all of a sudden it mattered to me. When it was not just a matter of an idea, but it hit home, all of a sudden it was important. And this is how injustice often gets overlooked in our world. Is it doesn't matter to us until it affects us. Everyone else is a whiner and entitled person until all of a sudden we're the person who is facing the music. And for so many of us, what we do is we choose individualism over injustice. We are willing to look the other way as long as it is not affecting us. We won't do this this morning, but you could, you could out loud, but we could do it in our heads of just thinking where you've seen this in your life. Not merely in terms of public issues, but even personal issues that you were willing to look the other way until it affected you. But as we think about the gospel... In Matthew's Table Church, we're a church that is all about the gospel. If there's one thing that is clear, the gospel is not a gospel of self-protecting individualism. 
That the God that we worship this morning, the God who sends His Son to save us, is not a God who says, just get your act together. I've given you every bit of things that you need, now do your part. I've done my part, now you do your part. That is not the God of grace. That is not the gospel of grace that sets back and says, that's not my business. We might even be as bold as to say that is an anti-gospel. In the gospel, we see a God of justice and grace. In the gospel, we see a God who doesn't set back in individualism while others are left to fend for themselves. And as a gospel people, then we must be about declaring and displaying a gospel of justice. So how do we do that? Well, Ecclesiastes 3, 16 through 4, 16 has lots of things in it, I believe, that help us do this. And we can't talk, tackle every little verse and every little thing in each of these because this is a big stuff. We'll try to get do that in other ways. There's a first thing we have to do if we're going to follow God in this declaration and display of justice that flows out of the gospel and not out of any man-made agendas is we have got to recognize injustice. Verse 16 the writer of, of Ecclesiastes, whom we believe to be Solomon, says, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of justice there's wickedness. In the place of righteousness there's wickedness. So he sees it. He says, when I look out over the world, I see a lot of injustice. Here's the reality. Guess what? Sometimes the bad guys win. It's a life, that's the world we live in. Sometimes the bad guys win. Sometimes the other person gets to tell the story, and you don't. Sometimes the person who is in power gets to give the interpretation of what happened. And sometimes that's, that's life. Someone said, as I listen to this, when, you're, when you're, your kids are little, you hear them start to say, it's not fair. That's not fair. And then as we get older, we just start to say, life's not fair. So God is saying through His Word, yeah, it's life in a fallen world. And God shows us this not only in Ecclesiastes, but as we look through all the Scriptures, we see God pointing out these issues of injustices, and we see that He cares about them. From the first murder in the Bible, from Cain to Abel, we see God saying, His blood cries out from the ground. What is Cain's response? Does anybody remember? Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, I gotta take care of me. Right? Don't come asking me how other people are doing. We see Israel in Egypt, although they were brought there through God's provision through Joseph, we see they're kind of like kidnapped there. They're trapped there. And they cry out to God as they are oppressed. And God says, I have seen your oppression and I have heard your cries for help. We think of Israel led out of Egypt and to be the people of God now displaying the heart of God in this world and why He gives so many laws that really are all about them having a just society where things are measured right, where people aren't taken advantage of, where the weak, the sojourner are protected. 
And even as we come to books like the book of Psalms, we see this cry from God to His people to fill their hearts and to fill their lips where they care about such things. Psalms 106.3 says, Blessed are those who observe justice. The people of Israel would have sang that as they gathered. Blessed are those who observe justice. Proverbs 21.3, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And as we come to the prophets, and God's people have rebelled against God's ways, and they are either on the verge of facing exile or in exile, the prophets are calling them to repent. What does repentance look like for the people of God? In Amos 5.11, we hear these words, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. It's like you, you're doing pretty well for yourself, but you've overlooked the people who are not benefiting. And the reply, the voice that we hear in our ears at times and in other ears, you know, God, I'm not into social justice. I'm about the gospel. I'm about worship. The church needs to focus on the church and not all that stuff. And God says these words in Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, your big worship services that are dotting every I and crossing every T. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Quit singing. The melody of your harps, I'm not going to listen. In Amos 5.24, But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But God, I'm all about discipleship. We don't need to get distracted by such things as doing justice. Micah 6.8 He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But I don't want to get into those public policy and political issues. Let's focus on what matters for eternity and the soul. Jeremiah 22, 16 and 17. And I'm leaving out so many other verses. I just skipped a whole big section. Jeremiah 22. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is this not to know me, declares the Lord? Is this not to know me? but I'm not going to follow this liberalization of the church. I'm a person of the Word. Really? Isaiah 1.17 Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice. Well, people are getting carried away with all this stuff. I don't think things are that bad. Isaiah 61.8 For I, the Lord, love justice. Do we fit, can we feel this even before it affects us just individually? 
Can we feel this, this, these issues of injustices that are pointed out to us here are not, are not merely matters of political debate or, or sort of weighing for social capital, but what we're talking about here is the heart of God? John Piper says this. For those who know him, a, a man I think many would say, no, not doubting the fact, loves God's word, loves God's glory. He says, we need to hear the power and insight with which Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to that generation of the 60s, enraging thousands and inspiring thousands. The white clergy, that is white pastors, said to him, calm down. Settle down. Just be patient and be quiet. This was his response that he wrote from a jail in Birmingham. Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the sting darts of segregation to say, wait, but when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you've seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kick your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see tears welling up in our eyes when she's told that Fun Town is closed to colored children, and see ominous clouds of inferiority begin, beginning to form in her five-year-old little mental sky, and see her beginning to distort the personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people, when you have to concoct an answer for your son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you're humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. When your first name becomes, and we don't approve of using this word if, if, if children are here, but... When your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother never given the respected title Mrs., when you're harried by day and haunted by night by the fact you're a negro, living it constantly at a tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears, outer resentments, when you're forever fighting a de degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. Then Piper continues, Finally, he delivered a powerful call to the church which rings as true today as it did 38 years ago. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat 
that transform the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club of no meaning for the 20th century. We've got to be willing to open our eyes. That was not that long ago. If you have any sense of history, this was not that long ago. You know how long ago it was? Could have been my grandfather. If my grandfather would have been treated that way, and you came up to me and you said, I've not did anything to you, get over it. That wouldn't fly. That was my grandfather you did it to. You do it to my grandfather, you do it to me. You do it to my grandmother, you do it to me. We've got to open our eyes. We don't want it, right? We want, we want, all we want on social media is what? Grumpy cat, right? And can we just go back to the days where, you know, everybody's just stirring up all this hatred and division. It's not really there. Let's look at grumpy cat. No, it's there. We just don't want to look at it because it's uncomfortable. Who wants to talk about this stuff? I don't. Who wants to talk about abortion? The fact that it is legal in our country to murder babies. It should break our hearts. Little Kristen coming into the world at 26 weeks and another baby at that age be taken out. I don't say that if, if that's a part of your story in any sense of condemnation. I'm just saying that's, that's a grievous injustice. Things like human trafficking where certain laws and loopholes make it where young girls and even young boys can be sold across our world in slavery for the sake of doing heinous acts that I don't even want to talk about out loud. Things that hit home locally like predatory lending. Hey, who cares if I got to give this guy 20-30% interest? It's better than nothing. Could go on and on. In the spirit of what Melanie shared in the season we're in, we do, we do need to talk a little bit about this injustice. I'm not going to talk about policy. I'm no politician. But I do find a lot of hypocrisy and inconsistency when it comes to these issues of racial injustice. Here's one that really gets me. When it comes to 9-11, right, that was a great injustice on our country. What's our, what is our phrase for 9-11 when it happened? In, does anybody know? What's our hashtag? Never forget. Slavery, though, what do we say? Forget it. <laughs> right? 9-11, one day of horrific terrorism. Never forget it. And if you try to forget it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the American flag around my fist and punch you in the throat. Right? 
But centuries of slavery and Jim Crow law, and we're like, golly, blum, quit whining. Be thankful. Somebody said this week, you know, people need to quit being offended at everything. That's a part of growing up. A grown-up quits, quits being offended. You know, I'm just glad I'm not married to that person. <laughs> if you're married in here, just try that with your spouse. Hey, here's the stats from yesterday's, our last month. <laughs> you know, let's be logical here. That's not how relationships work. Relationships involve people. Relationships are more than a, a ledger of statistics. When all the media stuff was happening the last couple years, because I mean, I'm probably like you, it's hard to even know what to think. You can't trust anything you hear. There's so much misinformation. So I knew that we had a few uh, black dudes that lived across the street from us, and so I just went over to them. I said, hey, can I take you out to lunch? I don't believe anything I hear on the news. I just want to talk to you. And I said, have you guys ever faced any type of legitimate injustices? And I had to sit there at Zaxby's there on 25th Street and try not to hold back my tears as they told me story after story of how they had been treated. Even one time right across the street, they're standing outside in their yard talking. And, and these, are, these are Christian young men, they're Lee students. He said, yeah, we're just stood right here in our, it's right across the street from our house. And we're just out here talking. And, 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 and I totally, 100% respect and love law enforcement. My, one of my cousins, Cody, could tell you he's the sheriff. So this is not being negative. This is just reality, right? Just reality. The police pulled up, grabbed all of them, slung them down on the ground. And they're like, what's going on? And they said, you fit the description of, of a robbery that just took place. Three Lee students just trying to hang out in their front yard. That's not fake news. That's not the media trying to stir up division in an otherwise nice little setting. And they told story after story, but I don't need stories. I mean, I know where I grew up, and I know how we talked, and I know how we acted. If you want to hear more, I can tell you later. I've been riding through Atlanta with my family, hitting those locks when a black person gets near. I've watched old women hold their purses a little tighter. I was there. I know this ain't fake news. I've heard people in a church building use the N-word. I've heard people say when the, uh, a white boy shoots up a school, right, well, this is just mental issues. And when there's a shooting on TV, they're all just killing each other over there in Chattanooga. I mean, this isn't fake news. I'm, I could go on all day long. And if you don't think that creates an atmosphere and a culture to where, as, as, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ominous clouds of inferiority aren't formed, then our head's in the sand. So let's not call ourselves God-centered, gospel-centered, 
and especially biblical, if we can't do justice with all the Bible has to say about such things. The sellouts are the ones who don't do justice with the Word. They're the ones who really don't believe in sola scriptura. Say that's not a gospel issue. Well, let's keep going. Verse 17. It's still on that other one. The author says, I said in my heart in the face of this world of injustice, oppression, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Who is God? He's a God of justice. Isaiah 30, 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. What do we mean when we talk about justice? We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about the one who sees it right, the one who is holy, the one who gets it right. None of us are that. No media outlet is that. No person is that. But God is that. This is good news. We have a God who is just. We have a God who isn't looking at five different news reports and saying, which one do I believe? We have a God who knows the truth. A God who is the truth. A God whom we trust, whom there is no hint or impurity or any partiality in His being. He is the moral standard in a world of self-protecting compromise. He is justice. This is, this is so important. We don't have a definition of justice, and then we go say, does God meet that definition? No, God is the definition of justice. He is the standard. He is it. And without God, there would be no genuine foundation for it. And so this is, this is what's so ironic about so many people who in this world are crying out, injustice, injustice, they don't believe in God. And they don't have a moral leg to stand on. Because how can you say there's injustice if you don't even have a standard for justice? But we do. It's why we should care even more. Who is God? A God is justice. What has He done? We see this pointed to in this text that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. He's a God who makes things right. But what's so upsetting is that, guess what? We're all guilty. So of all these other injustices we could list out, abortion, racial prejudice, human trafficking, predatory lending, whatever. Guess what? The greatest injustice in all the world is our rebellion against God. That's the great injustice. That's the one that should have us more upset than anything, is that we rebelled against our good, holy, loving God. is that for any injustices anyone wants to point out in this world, we need to see, first off, we're the ones who deserve judgment. We deserve it. And the wages of sin is death. Verses 18 through 21 kind of point us towards this, or through 22, where, where Solomon's not taking away here the fact that we bear the image of God and animals don't. He's just saying, this is what life looks like in our world. This is how God is, is testing us, or some translations here will say He's manifesting us. Is that he, He's like, we're just all a bunch of beasts out here, survival of the fittest. Right? It's all about power. It's all about me protecting me. And so, in so many ways, the way that we live in injustice and carelessness towards the injustice of others 
It's just kind of like we're a bunch of squirrels running around the yard making sure we all got enough nuts for the winter. Who cares what happens to the other ones? When the two great commands were given are to love God and to love our neighbor. And we said, thank you very much, God. I love me. So we deserve what the Bible calls hell. And so for any of you that think, wow, I didn't know that Rusty became a liberal pastor or whatever this past week from the first point, is uh, we believe in hell, the eternal conscious judgment of God. The reason people don't talk about this, especially usually people who really care about these justice issues, is because we don't realize is that the doctrine of hell is not something that should make us like sort of embarrassed. The doctrine of hell actually is good news for people who've been treated very unjustly and oppressed in our lives. Because what it tells us is, guess what? Nobody's going to get by with anything. God is not a God who says, well, you know, humans will be humans. They'll act like a bunch of animals, and at the end of the day, you know, Big deal. Tell that to somebody who's been molested. Tell that to somebody who's been raped and nobody believes them. Tell that to somebody who's, it's too late now for any type of justice in their life. What would you think of a judge in our city who let child molesters, rapers, murderers, terrorists go free without justice? Would you say, that's a good judge? No, you would say, that's a wicked judge. That's an evil judge. And if somebody wanted to say, no, he's just so forgiving. He's just so gracious. He's just so kind. You would say, whatever. It's evil. The Bible tells all of us that it's appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. God is a God of justice. But here's the good news. Is that although we all in here deserve that justice, is that God not only is a God of justice, but He's a God of grace. Not because His justice is bad, but just because His grace is good too. He's a God who sent His Son for us treasonous, wicked, wrath-deserving sinners. And He said, I will let Him take the penalty you deserve. God did not compromise His justice at Calvary. He satisfied His justice and also satisfied His love. This is the good news of the Gospel. That He made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, become sin, take on our sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Apart from the cross, God is un- apart from that, God's unjust. It's why Romans 3 says that the cross, His, his propitiating, His wrath-satisfying work, His atonement, was to show His righteousness so that He might be both just and the justifier. Does God care about justice? You better believe it. Look at the cross. 
If he didn't care about justice, with a wave of his hand, he guessed he could have just compromised his whole character and said, they're forgiven. But God is a God who doesn't lie. Does he care about justice? Look at the resurrection. His innocent son killed as a criminal in our place is risen from the dead to show he was no mere sinful man but the victorious son of God. Does God care about injustice? Look at the return. One day Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to be made right. All sin, all suffering, all oppression, all injustice will either be covered with the blood of Jesus and His finished work or will be settled in eternity. Hitler committed suicide, or so history tells us. Did he escape justice? Did he die as the master of his own destiny after having six million Jews obliterated from the face of the earth and causing many Americans even to die in World War II? Did he escape justice? No, he didn't. He didn't. Because we don't end the story. God does. Does your oppressor, does your accuser, does the person maybe in your life or someone else in this city or our country, do they have the last word just because they have the power? No. We pray that, the, that our enemies will be will find Jesus and be covered under His work just as we've been. But if not, one way or the other, it will be made right. In Isaiah 42, we hear this prophecy. Behold my servant whom I have chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. As Jesus comes, He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, man, I wish we had more time. It's time for a machine gun style. Right? That probably isn't appropriate to say. But anyway, we can all take a deep breath and laugh for a second. We, many of us come from traditions, and I've been there saying, well, that's not a gospel issue. That's the Old Testament. Well, think about this. When Jesus is asked, what does eternal life look like by the lawyer? Hey, Jesus, tell me what it takes to inherit eternal life. You know what he does? He tells them the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is what it looks like to have eternal life. When Jesus is talking to his, uh, to his disciples before the, the end of his life, he tells them this parable of the sheep and the goats. All right, you want to see who's going to inherit eternal life? Here's the ones that are going to inherit eternal life. They're the ones who saw those who were in need, and they loved them. Were they saved by their works? No. But Tim Keller summarized this. He says, how do you know if you've really been born again? You care about the poor. When you see people without resources, your heart goes out to them. If it doesn't, maybe you're saved, but you're lacking the evidence of salvation. Justification leads to justice. That's what Jesus is saying. What about racial inequality in the church? Do you know why we have deacons? Go read Acts 6. The Jews and the Gentiles 
were at odds. The Gentile women weren't getting treated, widows weren't getting served like the Jewish women. And so, that's why we have deacons. It was a gospel issue. What about racial preference? What about Galatians 2? Peter comes, and he's not going to sit at the table with the Gentiles because he's afraid of how that might look. And Paul says, I had to go rebuke Peter to the face. And this is exactly what he said, Galatians 2.14, if you need to go look it up. Peter, what you're doing is out of step with the gospel. It was a gospel issue. What about classism? Do you know why we fence the Lord's table? Why fence? It's to mean we say like, hey, here's who should take the Lord's Supper and here's who shouldn't. If you go read in 1 Corinthians 10, the issue surrounding that wasn't who, feel, who has unrepentant sin in their life only. It was because the church in Corinth, the rich people were getting there and eating all the food and then leaving the poor people in the dust. And Paul says, guys, we're one in Christ. The rich have no preference in the church. It was a gospel issue. What about ageism? Our culture loves young people, right? In 1 Timothy, care for the widows. You say you love me? What's pure and undefiled religion? James 1.27. To care for the fatherless, for the orphans, and for widows. What about a life of bold faith in Hebrews 11? Sometimes this gets overlooked. Hebrews 11.33. Guess what some did? Enforce justice. One person said it this way, at the cross, God got justice and we got righteousness. So now, in the church, we who are righteous ought to care about justice. How is it that for so long American Christianity has had its finger on parsing the language of righteousness, but its feet far from fighting injustice? In chapter 4, and we don't have time, we just see Solomon saying this again. I see it. There's no one to comfort them. The oppressors have the power, but there's no one to comfort the people who are oppressed. And so we get to these beloved verses in verses 9 through 12. We may take some more time on them next week. We'll see. These sort of coffee mug verses, right? Two are better than one. Cross-stitched friendship. Not bad things, right? But we're taught to rightly read our Bibles in context. This just brings us back to where we started. We live in a culture that has overvalued individualism. And we don't need to undervalue it, but we've overvalued it. What Solomon is saying here, there's a lot of people who need a friend. Who need a friend. And the church can't leave this to the world or to the government. Although those things are important. We should lead the way in these issues. Whether it's abortion, whether it's racism, whether it's trafficking, whether it's issues of, of sexuality, whether it's issues of social safety nets, we need to like care about these things. And we need to display a better way in the way that our tables look and our friendships look. We can do that. We need to be willing to be, we need to willing to offend everybody. If we truly follow Jesus, guess what? Jesus offended everybody. 
We need to say we are not beholden to any political party. We are not beholden to any news channel. We will be equal opportunity offenders to all in the name of Jesus. Our allegiance is to Jesus. When we gather together, this is a meeting of the kingdom of Christ that will last forever. He's who we follow. We can speak boldly about abortion and boldly about racism. Guess what? You can do both. Facebook and Twitter won't blow up if you do both. Matt Chandler said this. He said, if I preach a sermon on the book of Isaiah on justice, my inbox, my email will be, will be filled with people saying uh, that I'm a Marxist or I've been watching too much liberal media. He said, but if I spoke on abortion, I'd be applauded as courageous and a ferocious man of God. I'd never be accused of being too political. He said, if I quoted the great reformer Martin Luther, never did I get an email about his blatant anti-Semitism but if I did quote Martin Luther King Jr., my email would be full of people saying, don't you know about his moral brokenness and his theology? And quote John Calvin, right? Nobody is say, do you realize he had a guy murdered who disagreed with some of his theology? <laughs> but if you quote somebody else that doesn't fit political agenda, then all of a sudden... You're a compromiser of God's word. That's okay. Jesus alone is king. It's time we call out our inconsistencies, and it's time we love people. It's time maybe we be quiet and we listen. Because what can we do? We can be nice to people. We can make friends with people. We can go out of our way. We can be the ones who speak the truth and then we can be the ones who say, I'll take the sacrifice. I'll sacrifice my preferences. I'll be the one who takes the hit. You know, it kind of sounds like somebody, doesn't it? Do we know anybody who sort of says, you know, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life for these people who I think don't have it together or who I don't understand? Praise God, Jesus didn't look down from heaven and say, look at those snowflakes. Look at those weaklings. He said, I love them. And I'll die for them. This is the good news we have. Don't let it fill you with shame, fear, guilt, or defensiveness. Just receive it. You are so loved by God. He just wants you to go love others. <laughs>